0: safe to say that if I mentioned the show Bizarre Foods, you would know what I'm talking about. Whether you've seen a viral clip or a full episode, Andrew Zimmern has made his way into all of our homes one way or another. Now, I have come to know and love Andrew from his new show on Magnolia Network called Family Dinner. And the heartbeat behind this show is going to visit families, cooking with them, and sitting at their tables across states, across cultures, across age groups. And it is something that just grabbed my attention and made me crave family dinner. I know so many of us are in this position where lives feel busy and cooking feels hard, but we crave that space, especially with our families. So in this conversation, we're going to talk about not just the importance of it, but how to do it if it's something that you are longing for. Here is a little bit more about Andrew. Andrew Zimmern is an Emmy-winning and four-time James Beard Award-winning TV personality, chef, writer, and social justice advocate. As the creator, executive producer, and host of Travel Channel's Bizarre Foods franchise, Andrew Zimmern's Zimmern's Driven by Food and Emmy-winning The Zimmern List. He has devoted his life to exploring and promoting cultural acceptance, tolerance, and understanding through food. In 2020, Andrew returned to television with his MSNBC series, What's Eating America? And in 2021, his premiered Family Dinner on Chip and Joanna Gaines' Magnolia Network. In 2022, Andrew Zimmern's Wild Game Kitchen will premiere on the Outdoor Channel. All three shows were, c- were created by Intuitive Content. The full-service television and digital production company that Andrew heads as both founder and CEO. In 2021, Intuitive Content was named one of the top 100 production companies in the world by Real Screen. Andrew is also the founder and CEO of Passport Hospitality, a restaurant and food service development company. He serves on the City Harvest Food Council, along with many other philanthropic endeavors in which he is on the board of directors. Andrew is also a founding member of the Independent Restaurant Coalition, fighting to save restaurants affected by COVID-19. He currently resides in Minneapolis. And guys, wow, wow, wow. It was an honor to be able to host this interview. Andrew was a joy. And his story is one that you would never expect, but is so powerful. And I think that's something so many of us can relate to. Welcome to Making Room, a podcast by Gather Intentional Living and Everyday Hospitality. Listen, we understand that the way that our culture often portrays hospitality is unattainable, and sometimes even just the thought of opening your door is crippling. Join us in the pursuit to bringing beauty, meaning, and celebration back to the everyday gathering. Go ahead, take your seat. We saved one just for you. Getting conversation started at an event is always the most difficult part, but I have an answer for you. ConvoKins, the world's first conversation starter napkin, a pack of 50 napkins that helps you easily create fun and meaningful conversation with family and friends. No repeat questions, and they are beautiful. You will serve them with confidence and excitement of what's to come on the other side. Cote Brands, the maker of ConvoKens, is on a mission to empower the everyday host through innovative icebreaker party games and conversation-provoking party decorations. With everything from convokins to thank you cards, games for bridal showers and baby showers, you do not want to miss everything they offer to make your next gathering meaningful, beautiful, and a breeze. Get your own products on their website c o t i e r b r a n d. C-O-T-I-E-R-B-R-A-N-D.com for 15% off with code gather 15. You have created a personal brand that's made its way really into all of our homes. I want to hear a little bit more about your backstory though. We know a lot about where you are now, but how did you get here? What do you want us to know about your journey to where you are today?
1: Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> um... <sighs> Started out idyllic, uh, like most childhoods, um, unaware of surroundings, uh, whether you're privileged or impoverished, but you know, at a, it, up to a certain age, you're, you're a happy child. If you're, if you're in the, in the blessed category, if you're lucky. I always like to remind people of who we're talking about, not all of us have access to food and shelter and water. Mm -hmm. Um, Not all of us have nurturing parents. So it's a, I do consider myself blessed. Uh, But the, you know, it quickly turned very selfish and self-centered and I started living a life really, you know, fear-based. Part of that was my own, uh, of my own making part of that was circumstantial uh, trauma with uh, divorce and abandonment and all kinds of crazy stuff going on in my life. And I, I made a very conscious decision that I was just simply not, I had to be responsible for my own happiness and not in the healthy way that a lot of people would say is, is a, a nice way to think, but in a very unconstructive way, I would need to, it, it, it forced me to turn inward and then. I became a pile of conflicted emotions that the only relief for me was drug and alcohol use and uh, things quickly got worse at the same time. I'm having a very successful food career Um, managed to graduate college uh, and became uh, very successful in, in New York in the food business. Then just everything exploded. And I became a a homeless uh, street junkie and, and, petty criminal and user of people and taker of things. And then I sobered up uh, 30 and a half years ago and uh, slowly, but surely my life has gotten better ever since. And I was extremely, I mean, you, you, you you can't be successful in the television business and take any credit for it at all. I mean, truly it is a, uh, I mean, Timing is everything. Fortune—it's uh, it, not like that commercial. Fortune does not favor the brave. In the television, fortune favors the lucky. Um, and I've—I've just—I've been extremely, uh, extremely lucky uh, with circumstance. I was just telling someone earlier. Um, first episode of Bizar- they bought eight episodes of bizarre foods. The first episode did okay. The second one did a millionth of a point better than okay. And then the third episode, uh, the ratings were not so great. And the day the ratings came out, I was really upset because the the network Mm -hmm. wants to see a nice steady climb. Uh, And I really wanted to make more of the shows because I felt like we were just learning how to do it. And... the tonight show called and one of the bookers had seen this scene in the Ecuador episode, which aired as episode three. Um, and they just went bonkers for it. I was spat on lit on fire. Dead animals were beaten against my chest. I was beaten with branches that made my whole body break out in hives. This is all while I'm naked in an exorcist's basement, uh, in the town of Otavalo in Ecuador. And uh, they thought it was the funniest thing they'd ever seen. This guy spitting on me. I mean, it was just horrific. And uh, I went on the Tonight Show. I did well. Jay invited me back. And that the next week, the ratings went through the roof. And wow. here I sit. That was 2007. So 15 years later, it's, uh, you know, you talk about this brand yeah. that I've built. Yeah. Um, I know what you mean. I, I've, the,
0: I'm I personal tend, brand.
1: Yeah, I know. But I tend to think the audience builds your brand in a sense for you. Wow. Um, in many, many ways, regardless of whether, you know, I mean, it, it was the audience that fell in love with Coca-Cola. Right. Yeah. And whether you agree or not, the Kardashians and, you know, Hertz, we're number one and yes, You got to work hard and you got to be appealing. You got to show up. You got to do all these different things. But the audience builds your brand for you. And it is is a, I find that it's, you know, yes, you have to show up and do a certain amount of work, Hmm. but it's magical that an audience likes what you do and is willing to, Tune in each week to you or buy your next album or you know those millions of people that watch the tv show want to go go out and buy Kylie's makeup line or whatever maybe I have the the the, the wrong Jenner or whatever but I mean like yeah see, you know it's 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 will the audience keep going with you so there is an indescribable certain something that that e- that is appealing
0: Wow. Goodness. I feel like there's so many nuggets from that that I want to pull on, but I'm curious, um, when you were going through that season of drug and alcohol addiction and kind of at your lowest, like you've described it as like super lonely and super desperate in some interviews that I've seen, what was it that helped you climb out?
1: Um, using some more. Um, I just Mm. kept using and using and using until I wanted to die. And then I, I tried to kill myself by overdosing and overdrinking and it didn't work. And I woke up and I had a, I mean, a five minute feeling of, oh, I should ask for help. And I did. And then I wanted to take it all back and didn't want the help, but yeah. it was too late. I'd already opened my mouth. And two days later I had an intervention and four hours after that, I was in Minnesota Four hours after that, I was in the Hazelden continuum of care mm-hmm. and that was 30 and a half years ago and I've been sober ever since.
0: It's unbelievable. Did food or the table or community have any part of your kind of like healing or recovery process? like what role did food play in that season? For Mass you?
1: massively uh, talk to me about it. Well food became my yogurt became my way of passing mm-hmm. you need something to fill the time. Yeah. Uh, and I, I jumped back into the food world. Um, I, you know, the, the people of the state of Minnesota and really to start the twin cities, uh, because I wasn't a a statewide personality. I was just a, a chef and co-owner of a restaurant, ultimately co-owner of a restaurant. Wow. Um, I, I got, I, I, I gained self-esteem cooking for other people. Uh, but it was the people that healed me. Um, it was the love of the people who gave made me feel lovable when I only saw myself as unlovable. They saw me as redemp worthy of redemption when I saw myself as irredeemable. And they they gave me applause when I had no self-esteem. And so, in terms of healing, it, it was simply. The, the people of this state that. Wow. That gave me that grace,
0: man. Goodness gracious. Andrew, that's like so profound. And I feel like so many of us can relate to that. And, you know, my whole platform, I'm trying to get our generation back to the table for a few reasons. Right. But one of them being loneliness, I feel like we're the loneliest generation and mm. there's so much we lose when we don't gather, but I feel like healing is one of those things, right? The table and the community and the food is well, so yes. healing to so many different aspects. Yeah. Yes. It,
1: for those that are lucky enough to have a table. Yes. Yes. And I think even for those that are, do not have their own table to be offered uh, access to someone else's yeah, um, invitation, mm-hmm. it, it is, it, I mean, this is, this is why the work we do to heal the trauma in our lives, trauma not transformed is transmitted, right? Oof. So one of the ways that you can transform that trauma is, um, is by sharing with other human beings. Wow. And other people look at you and say, oh, well, that's not bad. I did X, Y, and Z. Or I can relate. I feel that too. I've never talked about it, but here's, here's what happened to me. And while certain traumas can take months and months and months, years and years and years, decades in some cases to happen, sometimes they happen instantaneously, um the death of a parent when you're a young kid for example um it is so too can the healing be uh instantaneous in the sense that you can be miserable and traumatized for a long time up until an event and for anyone that's been in any kind of trauma recovery you could always remember what that thing was Sometimes it's like opening a, a bottle of mustard that that you've tried and someone else has tried, and then the third family member just pops it right open. It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with strength; it's just oh, the I way know. they held it and what they were doing, and the the the, the, the jars open. Um, sometimes you just need to hear something in a different way. So by gathering and talking about things, we are we are putting that different way into our into the structure of our lives.
0: Wow. 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 Okay. Well, I could dive into that a lot more. I'm sure we'll get more to that later in the conversation, but I'm so thankful you shared that because I feel like it's a reminder that vulnerability invites vulnerability. And sometimes it requires going first, you know, it requires going first and question asking and getting curious. And it leads to that meaningful connection that I think so many of us are hungry for. Absolutely. Right. Many of us know you from your show. I have bizarre eats here, but it's not—it's bizarre foods. Correct. Yeah. Okay. From your show, bizarre foods. Um, so after living in Asia, um, I learned how limited many of our eating styles are here. So I can only imagine that these experience taught you experiences taught you a totally different side of the table. What would you say your biggest takeaways were from that run of that show and your experiences through
1: it? Uh. I mean, again, it's another cliche, but uh, we actually have the same thoughts and feelings as as human beings as people halfway across the world who still live life indistinguishably between the way they live their life today and their ancestors did twenty thousand years ago. Um, it is I, I've I've lived with protected tribal peoples for weeks at a time, shooting television with them. Uh, people who do live life as it is painted on cave walls still. And, um, you know, they see their child playing in the grass and they nudge you and say, look at, look at that kid. What a mess. He, he looks like a drunken, I mean, they even make the same jokes. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been uh, up in the Arctic circle with Laplanders, um, you know, with, And then hearing the translation of what grandma was muttering at the table while we were doing our show. And she's saying to the children in a whisper through clenched teeth, sit up straight. You only 20 more minutes with these people. You promised me you would behave. Eat everything on your plate. Uh, uh, All our neighbors are going to see this show. I mean, it's just it's hysterical. And yet we're eating like dried reindeer meat, you know, in, in, in a on a farm so far away from what anyone would describe as modern life, Mm -hmm. it's just timeless truths. It it just is moms and dads are worried about their kids. Kids are worried about disappointing parents. Kids want to, you know, do what they want to do when they want to do it. I mean, it's just like all of I I just keep going on and on and on. And I love it. Yet we continue to define ourselves by our differences. I think we have it backwards.
0: Yeah. It makes the world smaller when you think about it that way. Right. Of in, in the best way. Of course. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've been asked this a thousand times. I've just never heard the answer. What was the most bizarre thing you ate?
1: Well, it's usually all the Dr. Seuss food, um, the stuff that, I mean, I, I, I don't understand once a year when, when scientists say we've discovered a new species of fish. I mean, every year we would find stuff that wasn't in a taxonomic chart. I mean, it just wasn't um, the, and we, we started to call them Dr. Seuss foods. I mean, animals with, we, we were down in Suriname and the tribal people there um, who were the descendants of runaway slaves from a very famous uh, rebellion at a, uh, what was a prison where slaves would come in uh, to the, the coastal capital city and they would be processed through what is essentially a prison, a, a place where they could lock the these Africans who were ripped away from their homeland into this, in, into these cells, and then sold at the slave auction. Well, there was a famous rebellion, and you know, eighty of these slaves uh, became freed peoples as they ran down river, the Malobi River in Suriname. And, you know, the, 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 the Spanish Spanish or Portuguese Uh, Spanish at the time. If they went five miles downstream, they died. Right. They didn't know the animals they did. They were susceptible to the diseases they were. So they were like, well, fine, we'll get more slaves. Those hundred people can run away. And uh, these these freed peoples ran, you know, made it hundred miles downriver and basically built an African village. They they were they had endured the this horrific voyage across the ocean, uh, but it had only been a matter of weeks since they had left the west coast of Africa. So when they built their their huts and when they cooked and when they did things, it was like a little. African village planted on the Malobi on the banks of the Malobi river. And the, the incredible, the, the dignity, the similarity, the, the things we learned. And when they took us out uh, to eat with them, they hunted and trapped and, uh, and, and grew plants that were native there, but so many of the slaves escaped with seeds that they brought from Africa and stuff like that. So um, one of the real incredible pieces of our, uh, of that program is we went hunting with a young man and he shot these black birds that, you know, tasted like chicken. I mean, there was, they were very poultry ish. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is they were this black bird with these curly heads. I mean, it looked like a Dr. Seuss animal. It's where he first coined the, coined the phrase, as a TV crew. Um, And we looked, we took the picture because our, our, the the thing we're most afraid of because it would be a waste of time shooting. Then we wouldn't have a story is what if I ate something by accident that was endangered? Oh, wow. Right. And it didn't have to be endangered in that country. It could just be thought of as endangered in in our country, the perception. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, so the, the, the idea, the idea was we just want to make sure what we're eating is cool to eat. And, um, we just couldn't find this bird pictures of it anywhere still haven't to this day. Um, those are always the strangest things. Then there's the strange in the sense that it's only going to happen to me this one time. I mean, no one else has eaten 3,000-year-old butter discovered in an anaerobic environment in a bog in Ireland. No one is going to eat a sea worm that rises 20,000 feet from below the, the surface of the water in the deepest part of the trenches in the in the Pacific Ocean once every decade when atmospheric conditions are right so that it'll die in the sunlight and then fall down and fertilize the coral and the the native peoples scoop that off the top of the water and eat it It is it's like a light blue paste it tastes like iodine and and fish ass i mean it's just the worst but (laughs) it's a it's an amazing experience um so i you know yeah you know a lot of de- answers Webster's defines bizarre as as interesting and unique so fill in the blanks
0: yeah um i don't know if you're allowed to answer this question but do you have people on set that take that test the safety of the food before you eat not. it no
1: happy to answer it of course not
0: Oh my gosh, you are so brave. That makes it like next level.
1: <laughs> well, first of all, the I mean the dirty secret of television is that, you know, we made a whatever, a $500,000 show for $300,000 an hour. Um that's all in with the travel, the editing, the on and on and on. I mean, it just it is it's the 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 numbers. Everyone thinks that everyone is getting rich uh <laughs> making television, and it really is a a a, a big understatement. Um wow. big misnomer. But the, you know, the idea that we would have, I mean, we didn't have hair and makeup. We we in, only in the last couple of years did we ever have a security person. Uh, I mean, let alone someone just to taste the food in case it was bad. Um, you know, that was up to my own expertise. But the the, the thing that people forget is a, there's a lot of hosts on television that are simply uh, actors playing a role. Um. And they've not actually done the thing that they're on camera doing before. And that's fine. They're, some of them are very successful. Uh, and then there are people who live their brand, right? You're talking about brand before. Um, that gift that the audience gave me in mm-hmm. building the brand, making it bigger, what I have to do is bring that skill set to them for them to like it, for it to become a brand. Mm-hmm. And I had always been, eating that way with my father traveling my whole life
0: wow oh my gosh that's so good and so interesting just the behind the scenes some of the reason i ask these questions i feel like it helps us to like buy in or to support you a little bit more when we know the full picture you know and so i'm happy to i'm happy to share all that um and i think all of us have these questions we just never have the opportunity to ask so yeah um so, one of the shows that people might not know you for, or you know, you know, you might—it's just a newer show—is your show, Family Dinner. Um, I've had great respect for Chip and Joanna for a long time, um, especially these last few years. And when they were preparing to launch the network, like many of us, um, I kind of scoured the library of all the shows to learn about them. Um, And the second I saw your title and the mission statement, I just celebrated. Um, As I said, I'm someone that's trying to get our generation back to the table. And I felt like The concept of the show really fit a need that we had in in hospitality culture. So I want to quickly read the mission statement because I think it's so well-written. Andrew visits families across America to explore how the cultural, regional, and historical facets of who we are inform what and how we eat and all of the ways food brings people together. Um, I want you to break that down to me, however, or for me, however you see fit. So Explain to me how hmm, you have found cultural, regional, and historical facets inform how we eat.
1: Well, if you, if you grow up in the area of Massachusetts and Rhode Island that has a tremendous Portuguese uh, population that came in there, Uh, and got jobs on boats that other people wouldn't take and transformed the seafood culture in that part of Massachusetts and Rhode Island, you eat differently and experience food differently than if you grow up in coastal Maine, where it is undiluted white Anglo-Saxon Protestant uh, culture. Mm -hmm. If you... Grew up in and around the time of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. You remember a time previous to Mexican and Vietnamese culture being elevated, being elevated to the point where um they are now as ingrained a part of that culture as the as the as the French, the Spanish, the African, the Caribe Indian were 200 years ago. Um, you know, in New Orleans, there was a very, very small Mexican population. But when the hurricane came through there, everyone in the construction business, anyone who could build anything uh, from Mexico went to New Orleans and got work, oftentimes illegal. Uh Wow. but they helped rebuild and continue to help rebuild that city. Now they wanted to be fed and they started cooking for themselves. And so now really great Mexican food is now available in new Orleans, but Mexican culture arrived into that part of the Gulf. That's a re- relatively recent phenomenon when the Vietnamese there, there was a small Vietnamese population big enough. Uh, but when the hurricane hit, Um, and people started to be wiped out, there was a large enough, and then the Vietnamese, while small, had grown large enough to start going around and teaching everyone as the ground dries, you can still grow plants vertically and get higher yield. Uh, Remember, they come from a part of the world where construction is not great on the coast. Mm -hmm. Typhoons literally destroy everything. So for them, psychologically, they helped Louisianans recover faster wow. i went to coastal louisiana right afterwards and we shot a, sh- uh, a show there and there were a bunch of uh of you know farmers in the parking lot of a farmer's market selling live ducks and they were they were all country mm-hmm. and I remember going up to them and saying, wow, it seems like you're selling a lot of live ducks. Has duck business always been great? And they're like, no, if it wasn't for the Vietnamese, we wouldn't be in business. Not only did they get us up and running in our business, but they told us that they would buy our live ducks because they don't like to buy butchered ducks because they do things with the blood and with skin and other parts of it. They want to buy live ducks. And in Louisiana, you're able to dispatch Poultry yourself in your own home, so uh, our sales quadrupled. Without them, we're not we're not in business. Our families aren't eating. The the those elements of of culture as it applies to food are what define our culture.
0: Part of the show's concept is you sat with families that represented different cultures, right? Each one was a different food and like regional culture, right? So as you sat with them. What what main differences did you see in the way that food brought them together? None. None. Okay, then tell me about the similarities.
1: People, people have been, all to a varying degree, some more than others, have used getting together weekly, monthly, or semi-annually to keep connected to each other and to celebrate their own cultures with each other in the hopes that the younger generations will keep that going.
0: I love that. I think as, you know, as I was preparing and just learning more about you in the show, I was thinking of my Italian grandpa that I lived with and he did most of the cooking in the house. So I grew up kind of like, sheltered when it came to food, right? So if it didn't have red sauce and garlic, we didn't need it <laughs> Yep. Um, or some kind of piccata. So for a while I was rebellious, I guess, and started exploring and eating more food. But I feel like in my adulthood, I've come back to those roots. And so they've been so important to me. Um, so um, there's no question though, that with this, our generation is facing a drastic shift with hospitality where we're not spending as much time at the table. Um, what do you think the costs are of not having these family dinners?
1: Uh, loss of connection, losing uh, that that cultural history that we've talked about, um, mm-hmm. but losing human beings. <laughs> unconnected people, unconnected people in our family groups in 2022 uh, are uh, far more prone to suffer from mental uh, health issues, alcoholism, alcoholism, drug addiction, suicide—all of those numbers, by the way, are up for children yeah. and young adults drastically. Um, staying connected and providing a forum for mm-hmm. for for meeting our kids where they're at—I'll just use parents and children. Yeah uh, is of vital importance. The other thing that we found that I, that, you know, I talked about for going back 15 years, the first years of Bizarre Foods, we need, we need very, very, uh, specifically to not be shunting older people away. Um, generations ago, we would live three generations to a family, you know, kid, parents, grandparents. We, we take older people, we don't like the way they look, think, sound, talk, the responsibility, the reminder of our own mortality. We have a disposable convenience culture here in America, and we, we shunt them off. In Okinawa, Japan, it's the exact opposite. No one does anything without consulting the eldest person in the family. They're believed, rightly so, to have the most amount of wisdom because of their life experience. They're expected to work in whatever way they can until they're dead um they they take care of the children and and this purpose that it gives the old people helps extend their life and brings them happiness which is why every study that's done the word in the world on happiness and who lives the longest always includes the okinawans and and it is we are doing we we literally are doing the exact opposite of what we should do if we want to have a healthier society emotionally. Uh, And uh, I I believe fundamentally being healthy emotionally helps make us more productive, Mm -hmm. uh, less prone to physical illness, right? Mm -hmm. All those things. I mean, I just, in every which way, the idea of, of not convening and talking as family the idea and what better way to do it than over food the idea yeah. of pushing away our older folks is is absolutely absolutely anathema to success
0: yeah yeah, I feel like as I hear just from our community there's such a fear in our culture with Pinterest and Instagram of things not being perfect and so because of it people shy away from hospitality but then yep. we face the cost of it right? And so I think we need to be reminded of um the reason why you know why it's important to gather and the goal yep. of it in the per- in the first place instead of how does this make me look? How does this make you feel? Um kind of like shifting the narrative around hospitality, because it is a matter of like sickness and health connection, loneliness, you know, all those main things. Yeah. Wow. 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 Some of these answers I wasn't expecting, but I'm so glad you shared them. Um, I guess on the flip side of that, if someone feels like they're having, facing a breakdown of family dinners um, or just lack of culture at their table, what would you encourage them in?
1: Uh, Start it and do it and keep it. Um, Sorry, it. Mm-hmm. it is. It, it. I mean, you know, we struggle with that in our own. I'm a, I'm a single dad, mm-hmm. and I'm not even a full time single dad. <laughs> so I, I have to I have to rigorously make sure that I am bringing. I just had um, w- would would really. I have to make sure that when I'm home, the last thing I want to do is, you know, I want to lie on my couch, I'm tired and all the rest of that. But like last night I had eight people over for dinner and mm-hmm. that's my way of doing, I do it. I try to do it once or twice a week. Um, I'm usually pretty successful, uh, but it is of vital importance to do it because that's my extended family, my non-bio family. And it keeps me connected and keeps all of that happening.
0: I bet those invitations are happily received from you. <laughs> do you cook for all of them?
1: Uh, I do.
0: Okay, so on a little bit of a lighter note, I saw recently that you were talking about how you eat your s'mores. Was that a recent interview with the peanut butter and
1: We've talked we've talked about it a lot.
0: Okay. So, I am just recently getting into a more gourmet s'more. I do a Nutella and what else have I been putting on like Reese's peanut butter cups, things yep. like that. I, I do them on Tate's cookies instead of graham crackers. So talk to me about what you do. Cause our listeners have heard me talk about this a lot.
1: Uh, well, I just, there's, there's nothing worse than, uh, Hershey's chocolate. <laughs> uh, it's, it's fake candy. Um, and I'm, I, I'm I have real concerns about people eating trashy crap like that. Real chocolate's very good. There is, however, just a matter of taste. Some people like vanilla ice cream, some people like chocolate ice cream, right? So I do not like chocolate and marshmallow together, but I love peanut butter and marshmallow together. So everyone is putting chocolate on their s'mores with, and I'm like, why not peanut butter? And then there's Different peanut butter products out there. So I found a a company out of New York that makes a a spicy peanut butter. It's Haitian. Uh, They do ground, they're called ground nuts there, but they grind them with chilies to make a spicy peanut butter. And you put spicy peanut butter on a graham cracker, and then you get a, a nice, hot, melted, oversized marshmallow, and you put that down on top of it and sandwich it up. That to me is the best s'more there is. Now, once I did that, I was like, well, peanut butter, peanut butter and jelly. So I took the hot peanut butter, then put some homemade strawberry jam that I make every year and then a marshmallow. And I'm like, oh, am I on to (laughs) something?
0: Oh, I love that. I've never done anything spicy on it, but I'm like super into like hot honey and everything right now. And so I have to try it. That's a good addition. I love it. Love it. Um, OK, well, we end each of our conversations with the same three questions for every guest, and I would love to hear your answers as well. The first thing is something you've eaten recently and loved after this conversation about food. <laughs> uh,
1: I am not a pepperoni pizza person. Never have been. I find it too oily. And every once in a while, um, I um, I find a pepperoni pizza because a friend will order it and I'm there and I'll try it that just curls my toes. And I was at a restaurant the just last week here in Minnesota called Rosalia and they have a pepperoni and uh, they have pepperoni pizza. And I love pepperoni and mushrooms Mm -hmm. uh, when I've appreciated it in the past. And I said, let's throw the mushrooms. Other that I find my friend loves mushrooms. I took a bite of his in this place does real pepperoni, not the oversized inch and a half across like thin slice of meat like fake meat, but real you know it's about the width of a nickel. Italian pepperoni sliced slightly thicker and it curls up in cups and burns on the top and chars and you have that charred pork fat with the cured spicy meat it is unreal.
0: That sounds something like, like something I'd enjoy. I'm curious. We've talked a lot about pizza lately. I'm in Connecticut. Have you done the New Haven pizza tour in Connecticut? Of
1: course, please, of course I have.
0: You have? Oh my goodness! Who's your favorite? Which restaurant?
1: Uh,
0: Sally's Peppy Modern. Uh, no,
1: <laughs> I mean I'm I'm old school, so I go Sally's and Peppy. Mm-hmm. The the the. The beauty of that pizza up there is it's a little more well done. And of course, the clam pies and things like that, Mm -hmm. that, that make the, uh, um, that, that makes it definitive. But even if you don't have the clam pie, I, I go, I'll go Sal's.
0: Okay. That was the winner at our dinner last night when we were talking about it too. So. That's good. (laughs) Um, Something you found to be beautiful lately.
1: Something that I found to be what?
0: Beautiful lately. It could be anything.
1: Oh my God. I mean, so many things. I mean, it's, it's Minnesota. It's every night uh, when the light uh, it's dusk and the outdoor lights are time to sunset. So there's like Mm -hmm. 10 minutes where the sky is darkest, darkest blue and the Um, the, the, and the lights come on the outdoor lights, Mm -hmm. illuminate the trees. And I just, I'm, I just sit there in awe of nature being lit from below and above in a very unique way.
0: Wow. Wow. That's a great answer. I love it. Last but not least, a gathering you attended that made you feel a strong sense of belonging. And if you could pinpoint it, what it was that made you feel that way.
1: Uh, I I regularly attend 12 step meetings.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's,
1: that's my, my spiritual system. So when I'm with, uh, when I'm with people like that, uh, and I I'm in those meetings three, five times a week is when I'm at my happiest.
0: It's amazing. There's something, yeah. There's like a commonality there. There's an accountability. That's all things that we need. Right. Yeah. Yeah good well i applaud you for doing that and like continuing that even you know 30 years you said into your sober journey yes yeah. an encouragement to all of us wow well thank you so much where can people find you i'm sure we're uh, all following you already but where you everything to
1: andrew's well andrew and andrew zimmern uh, sorry andrewzimmern.com is my uh my website uh you can sign up for my Substack right there window pops up all things andrew are, are on my website we have a newsletter that alerts people to things that i'm doing i'm at chef az on instagram and at andrew Zimmern on twitter
0: and family dinner is on discovery plus
1: so, no it's well it's on Discovery everything is on discovery plus they put everything on the streamer but it's also on magnolia sunday nights uh eight o'clock eastern
0: okay Exciting. Well, thank you so much. This was such a rich conversation, and I'm excited to share it.
1: I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Of course. Thanks, Take guys. We'll
0: see you next week.
1: Bye.